President, we have a national emergency. This is one of the things that we can shoot first and ask questions later. Uh, normally you can't do that. All of a sudden these trees started moving out of the way. They parted for me. And then I came out into this opening and there where I saw Jesus Christ. Welcome in to End Time News. I am your host, W. Dean Shook, bringing you the news the mainstream media will never touch. And I am humbled, proud, and privileged to be able to bring you the news. Let me start by saying welcome to all of our listeners on the iHeartRadio Network, the Spreaker Radio Network, the Blog Talk Radio Network, all of our regular broadcast affiliates, and our international audience, which is who we're addressing today. Let me start today's program by saying End Time News is heard in 94 countries. Now, I know what we report here is probably not from your town or village, but what's going on in the world affects everyone, and this is news that obviously you need to know or you wouldn't be listening. So this is the first edition of End Time News World Edition. We're going to do this news, world news, global news, on a different subject each week. We may do it more often if the demand is there. So today, we're going to talk about a global threat that affects everyone. And for American listeners, pay attention, because you're going to see the same battles that we're going through here in America are happening all over the world and require a global response. Today, we're going to talk about not just Islam, but Islam and Sharia, because you may be uh, surprised to find out that uh, this is a global issue Let's start with Australia. Defiant Prime Minister Tony Abbott threatens homesick Australian jihadists with jail if they try to return, according to the Daily Telegraph. A defiant Prime Minister Tony Abbott yesterday declared his government would not negotiate the cozy return of foreign fighters who had a change of heart when they vowed to incinerate them. It was revealed that two Islamic members and one member of a Syrian terror group, Jabhat al-Nursa, we're trying to negotiate the return. But the Daily Telegraph has learned that the three deserters are not alone. Intelligence sources revealed that up to a dozen of the 120 Australian foreign fighters estimated to be currently in Syria and Iraq are now attempting to seek a similar route home. The Prime Minister's refusal to show clemency for terrorist sympathizers came after it emerged that several Australians who flew to Syria to fight with extremists are now trying to negotiate reparations with the Australian Federal Police. 
An estimated 40 Australians who have been in Syria or Iraq have already believed to have slipped back into Australia after new laws that would have had them arrested came into force. They said if you go and you seek to come back, as far as the government is concerned, you'll be arrested. You'll be prosecuted. You'll be jailed, he said. If you go abroad to kill innocent people in the name of a misguided fundamentalism and extremism, if you go abroad to become an Islamist killer, well, you're hardly going to come back into this country. Senior Australian intelligence figures have advised the Prime Minister the men cannot be trusted and pose a significant risk to national security, which is something that uh, the rest of us should also be considering. And according to Sky News, since this risk is so high in Australia, the Australian government's looking to schools to help identify students in danger of becoming radicalized. Attorney General George Brandis says the federal government's working with community organizations and other governments to create educational materials and training that will help schools identify and steer individuals away from ideologies of hate. Just as parents and families have gained greater understanding of the danger posed by online sexual predators, there's also needs to be increased awareness of the threat from online terrorist propaganda, he told the News Corporation. The Council of Australian Education Ministers, which would have to sign off on any of the changes to the curriculum, is due to meet in Brisbane on Friday. Sky News is also reporting... Three Australians with suspected links to terrorism are reportedly in negotiations with this government to return home. According to the news corporations, the men secretly approached authorities asking for help to flee Syria. It's understood that talks have stalled over fears the trio may pose a terror risk. Here is a clip of that. Abu Ibrahim left a job in Victoria as a health worker. He wanted the chance to live under strict Islamic Sharia law. But in February, he confessed to CBS the promise of ISIS doesn't match the reality. A lot of people, when they come, have a lot of uh, enthusiasm about what they've seen online, what they've seen on YouTube. They see it as something a lot grander than, than what the reality is. It's not all military praise or victories, you know. A convert to Islam, Ibrahim is one of at least three Australians now wanting to come home. His lawyer, Rob Starry, says if the Australian government is going to embrace de-radicalisation, it has to embrace it at all levels. This includes those who know they may be charged for what they've done, but who now want to renounce these groups and be cooperative. The three men have been fighting in Syria for at least two years and are believed to have fought on behalf of the terror groups. The Australian government is concerned what risk they'd pose if they came home. Meanwhile, it's been revealed a Melbourne teen who died while fighting with IS has been in contact with two other Melbourne extremists. Australia's security agencies are trying to confirm reports that Irfan Hussein was killed in the Middle East, one of 30 Australians who've died while fighting for Islamic State. Aaron Young, Sky News, Melbourne. Now, the group's lawyers claimed they made a mistake when they went to warn young people not to join extremist groups. Tony Abbott has warned any Australian jihadist who wants to return will be prosecuted. A global security expert says bringing back foreign fighters to Australia could be useful in helping to de-radicalize young Muslims. 
But Peter Jennings, the executive director of the Australian Strategic Policy Institute, says Australians returning from fighting overseas would have little value when it comes to the intelligence gathering, but could help with de-radicalization. They could puncture the mythology, he said. So it seems some of these people have had a little taste of Sharia law and apparently don't care much for it. But you know, legal recognition of Sharia law is uh, something that Australia has to be concerned about. Australia is marked by pluralism, religious and ethnic. In a piece written by Family Matters, it says, Our legal system is not pluralistic, apart for some consciousness to the indigenous people of this country. We abide by the one law for all mantra. Both sides of politics have rejected a separate stream of law for specific religion or ethnic communities on the basis that Australia is a secular nation. Freedom of religion and worship is protected, but religion is to play no part in the formal legal system. Australia's former treasurer, Peter Costello, argued there's one law we all expect to abide by. It's the law enacted by the Parliament under the Australian Constitution. If you can't accept that, then you don't accept the fundamentals of what Australia is and what it stands for. This year, Attorney General Robert McCullen confirmed that the Rudd government is not considering and will not consider the introduction of any part of Sharia law into the Australian legal system. A research undertaken by Dunn in 2005 indicates that there's a high level of apprehension among the general population about Muslims. says, in our suburbs, which gives support to the contention that the majority of Australians accept and endorse the one law for all approach. However, this position does rise challenges for Australian Muslims for whom adhere to their religious law, Sharia, is an Islamic obligation and not a matter of personal preference, particularly in regard of family matters, according to Islam. The issue of whether Australia should give formal legal recognition to Sharia law is resolving family law disputes involving Muslims. The case for and against such recognition is going to be outlined. Debate on this issue has gained currency across common law jurisdictions due to several recent events. One was the legal recognition given to Islamic arbitration in the province of Ontario, Canada in 2004. Although the enabling sections of the Arbitration Act were subsequently repealed, it did ignite the possibility that within a common law system, there could be a faith-based dispute resolution for family law and other legal matters. The second event was the Archbishop of Canterbury's address to the Royal Courts of Justice, in which it promoted the concept of Britain becoming a plural jurisdiction by accommodating aspects of Sharia law. Now, although his speech provoked opposition from other members of Britain's legal, political, and religious communities, including some Muslim groups, the Lord Chief Justice of Britain came to the Archbishop's defense by also supporting alternative dispute resolution using Sharia principles. Whether this is the right decision for Australians or whether it should retain the status quo needs consideration and debate, he said. The case for official recognition is that Sharia law is already operating in Australia. And the Australian Institute for Family Studies says, given that many of Australia's 350,000 Muslims are already regulating their lives according to Sharia, it is logical to officially recognize and support this. 
Sharia regulates the legal relationships many Australian Muslims enter to and out of, including marriage and divorce, custody and inheritance, as well as contractual and commercial dealings. Among Australians Muslims, there exists a strong preference to have legal questions answered and disputes settled by persons with Islamic credentials. Except in rare cases, this does not mean there's a rejection of Australian law, but instead, there's a desire to conform with Sharia law when it's possible to do so, they say. Muslims, as minorities in a secular society like Australia, have been reconsigned as skilled cultural navigators, able to maneuver through two systems of law, one of their nation and one of their faith. They say complying with both systems of law in Australia, marriage is a good example where there can readily be dual compliance. The Marriage Act of 1961 accommodates Islamic marriage by allowing marriages to be performed and registered by a Muslim cleric, usually an imam, without the need for a separate registering event or ceremony. Polygamous marriages, however, remain problematic, being unlawful under Section 94 of the Act. With divorce, compliance both with systems is possible, they say. A husband and wife can serve out the 12-month period of separation both to have a valid divorce under Australian law and the grounds of irretrievable breakdown of marriage in accordance with Family Law Act of 1975. It also complies with the extrajudicial form of divorce known as talik in Islamic law. A husband is able to pronounce talik. All the legal requirements are met, the marriage is terminated. Although there is no three-month waiting period, however, Compliance of both systems is more problematic for wives. A wife does not have the extrajudicial divorce option if her husband does not agree to pronounce talik. She is left to find someone with authority to hear her case and hopefully to grant her an Islamic divorce. Islamic law has always provided divorce options for wives, but each requires a third party, usually a judge or a body of legal scholars. In Muslim countries, the role is typically fulfilled by Sharia courts, but in Australia there is no judicial equivalent. As a divorce degree from the family court lacks any Islamic currency, it can mean that in the eyes of her community, her husband and herself, she is not really divorced. In the absence of an established Sharia court tribunal or body, Muslim women have to find a Muslim person or organization with Islamic credentials to hear her case and make a determination. For empowered Muslims, women who want to escape from an unhappy marriage, this will not be an obstacle. But it is a problem for those who lack the contacts, knowledge, and confidence to proceed. It can also make women vulnerable to spouses, religious and community pressure to resolve the marital dispute in accordance with what is presented as the right version of Islamic law, that relates to the second argument for the legal recognition. So it sounds to me like it doesn't really coincide with other laws. I don't think they did a very good job of making that case. What about in Britain? Well, Britain also has jihadists that are trying to return from the battlefield. They're saying that battle-hardened and vengeful 300 jihadists are back in Britain. More than 300 dangerous jihadists have returned to the UK after fighting with the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant, far higher than previously thought, according to the Telegraph. 
About 700 Islamists considered dangerous by the intelligence services have traveled to Syria and Iraq since the start of the conflict that's been huge swaths of the region overrun by jihadists. Of those, 320 have now returned and are officially listed as people of interest. A further 700 people, mainly British Muslims, who are not considered to be a threat to national security, have also visited the region. Previously, the government had estimated about 500 jihadists had fought with ISIL, and the 250 had come back. The new estimates highlight the huge difficulty in facing the security services and border agencies in trying to keep Britain safe. The Telegraph has been told about two dozen individuals who have come back have been involved in plots in the UK. So far, they've been thwarted. In recent months, the flow to Syria has significantly slackened, with Islamist idealists previously attracted to the region with a view to overthrow the Syrian dictator Assad, deterred by the brutality and violence of the ISIS leadership. More worrying for the UK authorities is the significant number of hardcore extremists who have been attracted by the brutality of the regime. I know there's been a lot of controversy about Sharia in the UK, and we're going to talk about that. In just a moment, I need to take this short break, try to pay some bills. I'll be right back, though. We're going to talk about Sharia uh, across the world, Denmark, France, across the world. Everyone is having the same problems. We'll cover those stories when I come back after this short break. You're listening to End Time News. GoDaddy offers everything you need to make a name for yourself on the web, from domain names and website builders to complete e-commerce solutions. We've earned our place as the world's number one accredited domain registrar by delivering world-class products at competitive prices and support them with industry-best services delivered 24-7, 365. We're proud to serve our customers from locations around the world. Sign up now at WDJook.com and get your domain name as low as $5.99 a year. Sign up now at WDeanShook.com. Go, Daddy. Go, Daddy. There is a sense in the world. There's a sense among believers. There's a sense among unbelievers. There's a sense among all peoples that things are unhinged. The Middle East is unhinged with uprisings, revolutions, and where is it heading? How are followers of Jesus to relate to all of these things? How do they relate to biblical prophecy? America is in spiritual moral crisis. Values are changing and so rapidly, I mean, that have not happened in the history of man. How are level-headed, responsible Christians to relate to the testimony of the biblical prophets and the unfolding of chaos throughout the world? Not just believers are wondering, is this a sign of the end?
Hi folks, have you noticed the federal government and police departments are using drones for everything? Drones are expensive. They're hard to fly. It can take up to a week just to learn to make a drone hover. Not anymore. There's a new generation of drones that are not only affordable, but very easy to fly. Now you can have your own personal drone, anything from a micro mini that'll fit in the palm of your hand, right up to a full scale model, 10 inches in diameter like the model I have, the V949 Pro comes with a six-axis, four-rotor blade and an HD 2.4 camera mounted on the bottom. These drones are made of a space-age polymer. They're durable. And don't worry about crashing your drone. Replacement blades for this drone from the website are only $1.80 for a pack of four. That's right, I said $1.80 for a pack of four replacement blades. You can also get an extra long-life battery. This battery allows you up to a half hour of fly time with a maximum speed of 40 miles an hour. Have your own personal drone and you can get all of this for under $70. If you go to the website wdeanshook.com and click on the banner on the webpage, you can get from 7 to 22% off your personal drone. It's shipped as a kit. You can be up and flying your own personal drone with an HD camera within a half hour. Come to the webpage wdeanshook.com. Click on that banner and get your discount today. WDeanShook.com. End Time Prophecy News is the only program on the air that runs on recycled chickweed ethanol, working to save the planet every day. Derby, Dewsbury, Leeds, 
Liverpool, Linton, Manchester, Sheffield, Waltham Forest, and Towers Hamlet, an East London Muslim enclave whose streets are already plastered with posters declaring, you are entering Sharia-controlled zone, Islamic rules enforced, and where Muslim imams now issue death threats to women who refuse to wear the Muslim veil. One-third of Britain's high-security prison inmates are Muslim. To more upscale Muslims, most of London's financial institutions have become Sharia-compliant, which requires donating a portion of their profits to Muslim organizations designated by their Sharia-compliance advisors. When he was Prime Minister, Gordon Brown loftily declared that he wanted London to become the Islamic finance capital of the world. His successor, David Cameron, more soberly stated in 2011, the European mainstream has been a failure, that he promoted Islamic extremism. He admitted that the West has been cautious, frankly even fearful, of standing up to it, and concluded by saying this, We have even tolerated these segregated communities behaving in ways that run completely contrary to our values. This hands-off tolerance has only serve to reinforce the sense that not enough is shared. What we see in so many European countries is a process of radicalization. Well, two years later, in 2013, David Cameron bowed to pressure from the banking sector and announced that Britain will become the first non-Muslim nation to issue Sharia-compliant Islamic bonds, proudly declaring at the World Economic Islamic Forum. He said, I don't just want London to be a great capital of Islamic finance in the Western world. I want London to stand alongside Dubai as one of the greatest capitals of Islamic finance anywhere in the world. And bowing to pressure from groups linked with the Muslim Brotherhood, the British government in 2014 started requiring all British school children to complete a unit on the history of Islam, which still bills itself as a religion of peace. Well, recently, the London police established England's first Sharia zone, in which EDL's Tommy Robertson is not allowed to enter. Tower Hamlets is a London borough that has become renowned for his Islamic links. The elected mayor, Lefter Rahman, has been accused of using intimidating tactics to gain power. A Channel 4 dispatch documentary revealed in 2010 that Luftar achieved the position with the help of the Islamic Forum of Europe, the IFE, and they're based at the East London Mosque and worked to create a Sharia state in Britain. Luftar has since diverged huge sums of taxpayer money to fund the IFE organizations. Since his rise in power, Luftar has been linked with fraud and even using council funds to advertise a training center closely connected with Ahim Kaldry. His long list of misdemeanors are documented in journalist Andrew Gillen's Telegraph blog. Sky News says the two Defense League leaders may have been arrested in London as they attempted to march to Woolwich, where drummer Lee Rigby was killed in May. Tommy Robinson shouted, you are enforcing Sharia law as officers who held him on suspicion of obstructing police as he tried to enter the London borough of Tower Hamlets. The EDL had previously announced plans to walk through part of the capital before gathering outside Woolwick Barracks. This is near where drummer Rigby was hacked to death in broad daylight. 
but the Metropolitan Police put conditions on the march which demanded that it ended up at Old Palace Yard opposite of the House of Lords. As well as planning to lay flowers in memory of drummer Rigby, Mr. Robinson and EDL co-leader Kevin Carroll, who was also arrested, were walking to raise money for a young girl fighting cancer. Sky correspondent Tom Palmer said they walked six miles when they were arrested outside of Algate East Underground Station. They said do not enter London's first Muslim Sharia zone. Bail conditions slapped by police on Toby Robertson of EDL, that's the English Defense League. Previously in England, a man had been arrested for painting his front door with the red and white British flag, the same one that British police use in their emblem. They said, next time you visit London, don't be surprised to see the Met Police's new Muslim Sharia patrol vehicles to stop you from entering the wrong areas. Here's a clip of that. Now, police in the UK have arrested two men who are said to be part of a vigilante group calling themselves the Muslim Patrol. Clips posted on YouTube show the youths walking around East London confronting people and telling, telling them to obey Sharia law. Muslim organizations in the area have condemned their actions, but as Sarah Firth reports, anger continues to simmer. Uh, an Islamic um, vigilante group, that's what they call themselves, a small number of people who were going up to members of the public in areas of London and confronting them, saying that they were implementing Sharia law and that this was a Muslim area and they were uh, demanding people throw away their alcohol, uh, they were insulting to women, telling them to cover up. Uh, and this got uploaded onto YouTube. Um, tens of thousands of people saw it. The original video got removed once the police investigation started. Uh, but once again, you know, that goes around. So it's still on YouTube right now. And again, tens of thousands of hits. One of the people in the video said that this is the UK. It's not a Muslim area. There's no Sharia law. But obviously, we've seen that this is a debate that really does uh, inflame tensions and causes a lot of controversy. Um, I think the Muslim community across the UK really has uh, come out to condemn what this small group's uh, done and to try and distance themselves from it. The East London uh, mosque saying that it was designed to stoke up tension. So that there's very much uh, an emphasis on distancing themselves from that type of behaviour. But certainly this is part of a wider debate in the area of London where the police think that this video was filmed uh, in East London is an area that's seen uh, this argument come up a number of times over the past couple of years with fundamentalist groups in these areas uh, making a lot of noise about wanting Sharia law implemented and, and it is a very touchy subject for a lot of people as we said very threatening behaviour in those videos. Well, you may not be surprised to hear that, in fact, all of Europe is adopting Sharia. The Gladstone Institute says a Muslim group in Denmark has launched a campaign to turn parts of Copenhagen and other Danish cities into Sharia law zones that would function as autonomous enclaves ruled by Islamic law. The Danish Islamic group Khalid Til Islam, that means call to Islam, says the Tingberg suburb of Copenhagen will be the first part of Denmark to be subject to Sharia law, followed by the Norebro district of the capital and other parts of the country. The right center Jalen's newspaper reported on October 17th, Calls to Islam says it will dispatch 24-hour Islamic morals police to enforce Sharia law in these enclaves. The patrol will confront anyone caught drinking alcohol, gambling, going to discotheques, 
or engaging in other activities that the group views as running contrary to Islam. Integration Minister Karen Hackerup said, I consider this to be very serious. Anything that attempts to undermine our democracy, we must crack down on it and consistently so. The call to Islamic group promotes Salafism. This is a fundamentalist sect within Sunni Islam that espouses a literalist reading of Islamic scriptures and adheres to a conservative and highly regulated Puritan lifestyle. Salafism also seeks the destruction of Western democracies, which is to be replaced by a universal Islamic caliphate, a worldwide Islamic theocracy regulated by Sharia law. Now listen to what they say. In a statement on its website, Call to Islam asks, How can we, Muslims, claim to be followers of the Sharia and defend the best deen, the doctrines of Allah, when we prefer to live among the infidels, to be subject to their laws, to emulate them and fail to differentiate ourselves from their kafir, that's camp of unbelievers? How can we claim to love Allah and His Messenger, when we're embarrassed to call for Sharia, how can we be different to the establishment of Allah's rule on earth, which is a duty for every Muslim? And their statement continued, to say to work to establish the caliphate is one of the biggest tasks of our time. This task cannot be achieved unless we work collectively under an emir, that's a commander or prince. Moreover, it's known that it's a duty to fight the evil of the prevalence everywhere around us. Man-made laws and rules are present today, and it has now become a mandatory obligation for all Muslims to work collectively to rid the world of this great mukar, that's evil, democracy. Now, I think that's important for everyone to understand. Anybody who lives in a democracy, or even anything close to a democracy, they have a call to destroy all democracy. And in Britain, for an example, a Muslim group called Muslims Against the Crusades has launched a campaign to turn 12 British cities, including what it calls Londonstan, into independent Islamic states. This so-called Islamic Emirates would function as an autonomous enclaves ruled by Islamic Sharia law and operated entirely outside British jurisprudence. The Islamic Emirates Project means the British cities of Birmingham, Bradford, Derby, Dewsbury, Leeds, Liverpool, Lutton, Sheffield, as well as Waltham Forest in northeast London and Tower Hamlets in east London as territories to be targeted for blanket Sharia rule. In the Tower Hamlets area of London, also known as the Islamic Republic of Tower Hamlets, for example, extremist Muslim preachers call the Tower Hamlets Taliban, regularly issue death threats to women who refuse to wear the Islamic veils. Neighborhood streets have been plastered with posters declaring, you are entering a Sharia-controlled zone, Islamic rules enforced. Streets advertising deemed offensive to Muslims is regularly vandalized or blacked out with spray paint. In Belgium, a radical Muslim group called Sharia for Belgium recently established an Islamic Sharia court in Antwerp, the country's second largest city. Leaders of the group say the purpose of the court is to create a parallel Islamic legal system in Belgium 
in order to challenge the state's authority as enforcer of the civil law protections granted by the Belgian Constitution. The Sharia Court, which is located in Anthrop's Borgout district, is mediating family law disputes for Muslim immigrants in Belgium. The self-appointed Muslim judges running the court are applying Sharia Islamic law rather than the secular Belgium family law system to resolve disputes involving questions of marriage and divorce, child custody, child support, as well as all, and I mean all, inheritance-related matters. Unlike Belgium civil law, Islamic Sharia law does not guarantee equal rights for men and women. Critics of the law court say it's undermined the rights of Muslim women in marriage and education. Legal experts say the Islamic court will also undercut Belgium state's ability to investigate and prosecute perpetrators of so-called honor crimes. We know what honor crimes are, honor killings. Sharia for Belgium says the court in Antwerp will eventually expand its remit and handle criminal cases as well. Well, how about in Germany? The spread of Islamic Sharia law is far more advanced than previously thought, and German authorities are powerless to do anything about it, according to a new book by the Muslim Shadow Justice System in Germany. The 236-page book entitled Judges Without Law, Islamic Parallel Justice Endangers Our Constitutional State, which was authored by Joachim Wagner, a German legal expert and former investigative journalist for ARD, German Public Television, says Islamic Sharia courts are now operating in all of Germany's biggest cities. The parallel justice system is undermining the rule of law in Germany, Wagner says, because Muslim arbiters slash imams are setting criminal cases out of court without the involvement of criminal prosecutors or lawyers before law enforcement can bring the case to a German court. How about in France? Islamic Sharia law is rapidly displacing French civil law by many parts of suburban Paris. There is a 2,200-page report that says France is on the brink of a major social explosion because of the future of Muslims to integrate into French society. The report shows how the problem is being exacerbated by radical Muslim leaders who are promoting the social marginalization of Muslim immigrants in order to create a parallel Muslim society in France that's ruled by Sharia law. And it goes on. In Spain, Salafi preachers in the northeastern region of Catalonia have set up Sharia tribunals to judge the conduct of both practicing and non-practicing Muslims in Spain. They also deploy Islamic religious police to punish Muslims who don't comply. In one case, nine Salafists kidnapped a woman in Reus, tried her for adultery based on Sharia law, condemned her to death. The woman just barely escaped execution by fleeing to a local police station. In another case, a Salafi imam in Tarragonia was arrested for forcing a 31-year-old Moroccan woman to wear a hajib head covering. The imam had threatened to burn down the woman's house for being an infidel because she works outside of the home, drives an automobile, and has non-Muslim friends. While back in Denmark, local politicians appear oblivious to the spread of Sharia law 
In September, the City Council of Copenhagen gave its final approval for the construction of the first official Grand Mosque in the Danish capital. This mega-mosque will have a massive blue dome as well as two towering minarets and its architectural design to stand out on Copenhagen's low-rising skyline. Unlike most mosques in Europe, which cater to Sunni Muslims, the mosque in Copenhagen pertains to Shia Muslims. The mosque is being financed by the Islamic Republic of Iran, and critics say the theocrats in Tehran intend to use the mosque to establish a recruiting center for the militant Shia Muslim group Hezbollah in Europe. Well, thank you so much for that, Denmark. The Copenhagen City Council says that who pays for the building the mosque is none of its concern. But the Copenhagen Mosque is, in fact, being built by the Alubayat Foundation, a radical Shia Muslim proselytizing and political lobbying group ran by the Iranian government. This group already runs about seven Islamic centers around the world, has its primary goal the promoting of the religious and political views of the Islamic Republic of Iran. It's especially focused on spreading Islamic Sharia law throughout Europe, including Denmark. Uh, you know, we have new Muslim-only Sharia-controlled zones that are funded by Pakistan. They're popping up everywhere in America. 22 villages in nine states have already been established. Here's a clip with information about that. You know, we've been telling you all about France's no-go zones, hundreds of Muslim-controlled areas around Paris that outsiders and cops don't dare to explore. They chose just to give it up. We have them here in the United States, too. I bet you did not know that. Nearly two dozen enclaves popping up across nine different states. And watch what happens when a stranger or so an outsider tries to step inside. But your land is open to the public. Joining us right now, the man behind that camera, founder and president of the Christian Action Network and author of Twilight in America, the untold story of Islamic training camps in America. Martin Moyer joins us right now. Martin, what was taking place right there? Where were you? Well, we were in Red House, Virginia. Uh, it's an isolated community, as most of these compounds are located in rural areas, heavily wooded, inside of the mountainous areas. And what we wanted to do was challenge their open extent, ex, ex, uh, invitation to actually come onto these compounds and see whether they were peaceful or not. So we brought our cameras, we tried to get on, and this is how we got treated. And quickly, this is the whole thing that we're seeing here. What goes on in these campuses? A lot of people say, hey, there are Jewish camps in this country, Christian camps in this company, country, why can't we have a Muslim camp? Because these are truly no-go zones. Unlike the ones in Europe, which I have visited, you can actually walk into those no-go zones. You can walk in with your cameras, you can talk to people, but in these particular no-go zones, you cannot get into. They have gates, they have armed guards, they have security forces, and when you go up into them, you're specifically told to leave these particular areas, and they're particularly dangerous. And we're watching right now, where are we taking, where are we seeing this footage from? Uh, this is a video they put out for the people inside of the compounds so that they learn how to do terrorist-type training. They teach them how to kidnap people, how to strangle them, how to kill guards, how to do guerrilla-type warfare training. Uh, and this is what goes on in these isolated no-go zones inside the United States. In America, name some states, name some areas, because you also say they're affiliated with a Pakistani militant group. 
Yeah, that Pakistani militant group is called Jamaat al-Fruqa, run by Sheikh Jelani, who most people haven't heard of, but that is the guy that Daniel Pearl, Wall Street Journal, was hoping to interview and was arranging to interview when he was kidnapped and then later beheaded. So name some towns, name some cities, name some states. Where are well, you? we have him in Texas, Sweeney, Texas. We have him in York, South Carolina. We have him in Commerce, uh, Georgia. We have him in Red House, Virginia. We have him in upstate New York. We have him in California. We have him in Michigan. Uh, they're scattered all around the United States. So right now, when you call up an officer and say, hey, wait a second, you got an enclave here. This is Islamic extremists being trained on our ground. What is the law enforcement's reaction? Well, the interesting thing about these camps, they're located in very rural areas of America, which has very small police departments. And they intentionally set them up in these areas where, for instance, the one in New York, they have a total of four police officers. I, I want you to hear what you say is a recruitment, the sound of a, a recruitment video to fill up these camps. Listen. The most welcome who joined one of the you know, advanced training groups in Islam or in Michigan or in South Carolina or in Pakistan, wherever we are, you can reach us. Where'd you get that? Well, actually, it took about four years to actually locate that video. We knew it existed, and we had someone inside of a law uh, enforcement department out of Colorado who snuck us the tape, and finally we were able to make it public. FBI's reaction? FBI's reaction is, is that, look, you know, they have the First Amendment and other American rights to operate these enclaves in the United States, regardless of the type of weapon training, guerrilla warfare training that's going on inside of them. It's not okay with me, and it certainly doesn't seem to be okay with you. Martin Moyer, thanks so much, President and CEO of the Christian Action Network. Well, you know, it seems that the liberals in all of these countries, including America, refuse to acknowledge the threat at all. According to CSN News, U.S. Muslim population surges in America up to 1 million since 2000. Here's what CSN News says. We are watching the widespread Islamic terror attacks unfold in France. Many Americans are undoubtedly taking comfort in the thought that we are well protected by our strong military and distant proximity to the Islamic bastions of the East. However, we've learned from 9-11 terror attacks, our geography and military may protect us from a naval or air invasion, but they cannot protect us from suicidal immigration policies based on recent immigration trends. We've clearly learned nothing from this ominous attack and thwarted terror plots that have taken place ever since 2001. Now, while America has not approached the dangerous levels of Islamic immigration that France has incurred in recent years, our increase in Muslim immigration, coupled with lax visa tracking, has exposed us to a huge security risk. Besides the hundreds of thousands of Somalians and Syrians that are coming into this country on a daily basis, by the hundreds of thousands. A national review noted in a riveting piece on the growth of domestic Islamic terror threats as the Muslim population in the country has expanded, so has the incidence of radicalism. They said while it's hard to discern the exact level of Muslim immigration, it's very clear the level of immigration is increasing. According to the numbers crunched by the Center for Immigration Studies, based on data from the Census Bureau, the immigration population from predominantly Muslim countries has grown from 1.7 million in 2000 to 2.7 million in 2013. The sharpest increase from the Muslim world were from volatile countries such as Iraq, Iran, Bangladesh, Pakistan, 
Syria. This tracks closely with Pew's estimate of 100,000 new Muslim immigrants per year. We know it's higher than that now, almost twice the level of the previous decade. It's also 10% of our annual immigrant population. If this trajectory continues, we will eventually reach the level of saturation France is currently experienced with Muslim immigrants, roughly 10% of their population. And there's a serious concern about the number of student visas that are granted to young males from these countries. According to data compiled by the Brookings Institute, Saudi Arabian nationals, who account for 15 of the 19 hijackers on 9-11, were granted more student visas between 2008 and 2012 than all other countries combined. Arabic is the fastest growing language on U.S. campuses and among the immigrant population in general. They went on to say it would be one thing if we had an effective visa program and vetting process in place to weed out the radicalized elements from the Muslim world. It certainly would have suited countries like France well over the past few decades. Unfortunately, the Obama administration has repealed the National Security Exit Entry Registration System, which was implemented after 9-11, to properly vet and track those who come here from risky countries on a student visa. Well, last year, ABC News discovered that 58,000 foreign nationals have overstayed their student visas, of which 6,000 represented what's called heightened concern. So why did the Obama administration repeal the National Security Entry Exit Registration System? We also have a gaping hole in our immigration system through the Visa Waiver Program. It allows people from 38 countries to travel here without a visa. And while it does not include countries in the Middle East, so many European countries have become a bastion for Islamic terror that places like France and England now present a huge problem. If you don't have a, a, an effective biometric exit entry system in place, you should certainly be able to weed out security risks before they enter in the first place. Even liberal Senator Dianne Feinstein called the VWP the Achilles heel of America. Well, do you feel safe now? Well, instead of focusing on amnesty or expanding our legal immigration system while Obama's president, Republicans should focus on the national security aspects of immigration. Legislation should include the following. They say implementation of a program similar to NSEERS in which we non-immigrant visas from risky parts of the world must be monitored by a local ICE office. If someone is here on a student visa and drop out of college to work on creating bombs, we should know that. It's calling for a complete overhaul of the Iraqi-Syrian refugee program to ensure that we don't continue letting in precursors who claim to be persecuted, an act which would suspend the visa waiver program until an established control over the number of terror threats we let into the country is established. And we need an act that would revoke the citizenship of those who fight for foreign terrorist organizations such as ISIS. When terrorist groups like ISIS threaten attacks on our homeland, they're not referring to a naval or air invasion. They're referring to current and future sleeper cells that have penetrated our vulnerable immigration system. We can either follow France in their immigration policies of national suicide, or we can learn from their mistakes before it's too late. Well, let me say this on a personal note. Here in America, we're about to commemorate our veterans on this Memorial Day. This is a time to look back at all the lives that were lost in wars to defend freedom, 
Every country in the world is affected by war. Two major wars were fought to defend our freedom for the world, not just one country. During the time of Nazi Germany, with the rise of Hitler, we've seen an ideology of hate, a vision of how the world should be through that ideology, and the building of an army to bring about the changes to the world that this ideology demanded. To defeat it, countries around the world had to stand up to fight for their freedom. It's clear that freedom is not free. Millions of lives were lost to give every human being the freedom we have today. But were these brave men and women giving their lives in vain? Today, we face the same type of ideological threat that the world was faced with in the 1940s. Today, no one is standing up. The people of the world are succumbing to today's ideology of hate. They're allowing all of our fathers' and grandfathers' lives to be lost in vain because we're allowing the freedom we claim to love to be lost to a radical ideology of hate that is Islam. We listen to the lies and the deceptions of governments and politicians. Through political correctness, we allow the true face of evil to flourish so that we don't offend, while the whole time they offend the rest of us in the worst way. Let me say this. We need to apologize to our past generations for the atrocities we're allowing today, for not standing up to the tyranny the way they did, for betraying the gift of freedom they gave us and nullifying the effect of the sacrifice they made for us, while we trash everything they did for us, for allowing tyranny to dominate, for allowing freedom to die while we sit back and do nothing. For that, I say to our veterans, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for letting you down. I'm sorry for throwing away the gift you gave us. And most of all, I'm sorry for the actions of people today that have made your sacrifice for our freedom a waste. God forgive us for the brave heroes whose lives have been lost in vain. I'm W. Dean Shook. You're listening to End Time News, World Edition. Thank you. Far amber waves of grain Far purple mountain Majesties Over the fruited plain But now wait a minute 